Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study every Sunday mornings, posted at 9.30, nor, uh, our regular time here in the Omaha area, and that is the time that we come together to meet as a congregation for Sunday morning Bible classes. But we're thankful that so many people in other parts of the country and around the world, they want to learn God's word. And so we're thankful that we have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's word on such a broad-based way uh, through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. So we're thankful you're there, that you want to learn more from God's word. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity to be here with you to teach and to help you understand and thereby grow in your faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody, and you probably know people in your family relationships, even in your work relationships, and so on, who need to turn their lives around. They need to start thinking about their relationship with God, about their soul's salvation, about eternity, because it's coming. So share these studies with them by those various technological means, with everybody you can, literally. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Now also, encourage everybody you can to go to our website, churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when they sign up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever other smart device they choose, Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a Monday through Friday radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a daily Bible study that we call today's Bible class. And that's only about 13 minutes long each day, but it keeps us in God's word. And again, that helps us to stay strong and even grow stronger in our faith. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of this yourself. Churchofchrist.com. We're going to get back into our study. We have moved from the book of Deuteronomy. We finished the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, and that took us from the creation of man through the Genesis flood, and then when God chose Abraham to be the father of the bloodline through which God would raise up the nation of Israel, and then ultimately lead them out of Egyptian bondage through Moses and his brother Aaron, and then all the way to the promised land. Now, that's Genesis chapter 1, verses are all the way through the end of Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. They're called the Pentateuch. And we understand them as being, for the most part, written by Moses, maybe the last chapter or two or so, written by a different penman because Moses, his death is depicted in the last chapter or two. Now, in Joshua, we began looking at Joshua last time, the first chapter we went through, and this is the next step. It's the transition between Moses dying, God taking him, and burying him in a secret place where no human being ever knew, 
And I suggested to you that that was in God's wisdom. I suspect it was to keep the people of Israel from turning that into a religious shrine, so to speak, and maybe actually worshiping the grave of, of Moses. And that's, that would be improper. That would not be uh, proper at all. God said again in the original Ten Commandments, the first commandment talks about how he says, I'm the Lord your God. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. And so he, I suspect that he took Moses and buried him secretly in a place where nobody knew, nobody ever found, because he did not want the Israelites to stumble into the worship of idols, basically, by making the gravesite of Moses into a worship place, a shrine, so to speak. And so he just took care of that privately between him and Moses. Now, in Joshua, we move to Joshua has become the leader of, of Israel, the next leader. He was kind of a, I think we can understand, sort of a right-hand man, or maybe we could understand him as simply the, the general of the army of the fighting men of Israel as they were going through the Moses under, uh, going through the wilderness under Moses' leadership. But now Moses has passed the mantle to Joshua, and Joshua is now the leader. He has the military background. Uh, because he's been through battles, leading the fighting men of Israel in battles against various armies that came against them, and God giving them the victory time after time. But now they are going to cross into the promised land. They've been stationed on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, and Moses the la in, in Deuteronomy has reminded them. He's kind of gone through a summary of their history and then also told them that they were to take this land. And, and he emphasizes again, don't enter into any relationship with the peoples of this land. They are idol worshipers. They do not follow God. And if you start building relationships with them, they're going to become a thorn in your side. They're going to become a snare to you. They're going to start to influence you to worship idols with them, and they're going to pull you away from God, and then God's going to punish you. It's going to bring judgment upon you. So that's been the warning. Now, Joshua, he's ready to lead the people across the Jordan River and begin the battles of conquest. Again, Moses, and of course, this was God's instruction through Moses to the people of Israel. They were to take the land there would be battles fought. They would either destroy the peoples of that land, the land of Canaan, or else drive them out, but have no relationships with them. And so God would give them that land, the land that he had promised to them, going all the way back to their forefathers, starting with Abraham. Now this would become the land of Israel. Canaan no more, the land of Israel now. But Joshua is going to lead the people across the river, and he's going to lead them in battle of, battles of conquest one after another. We read through chapter 1. <clears throat> so Joshua now is the leader. And the first battle that's going to be fought is going to be at the city of Jericho, not far across the Jordan River. We begin chapter 2 with verse 1, and we read about a, well, a, a lady who stands out. And she actually, though she is not an Israelite, she's a native of the land of Canaan, she's going to, and, and a citizen within the city of Jericho, she's going to help the spies that are sent into Jericho. They're, she's going to protect them, and she's going to be instrumental 
in the conquest of Jericho by the Israelite army. We begin verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. It's interesting, he only sends two spies. You might remember when Moses initially, after he had led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai and received the law from God, God's spiritual law to the Israelites, then Moses led the people and Again, we're talking about, I've, I've mentioned this over and over again, we're probably talking about the people of Israel by this time numbering one to three million in number when you're talking about men, women, and children. He leads them all the way to the southern boundary of the promised land. And he sends 12 spies into the land to spy it out. They come back and they bring samples of the produce of the land and oh, they say, look, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a great land here. But then when it came down to making the decision to enter that land and start the battles of conquest, 10 of those spies said, whoa, 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 we can't do that. We're not strong enough. There's strong folks over that land. There's even giants there. They've got big cities. They're walled. They're fortified. We can't take that land. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Only two spies, Joshua and Caleb. Now, Joshua is the new leader of the people here, in, beginning with the book of Joshua. Only Joshua and Caleb had the faith in God to advise the people, we can take this land. God's going to give us the victory. But the people were swayed by the bad reports of the other 10 spies. So it's interesting that as Joshua sends spies into the land to spy out the land on this occasion, and especially Jericho, he only sends two. Doesn't send 12, only two. Now, maybe that's coincidence, or maybe there's some significance there when you compare what happened when 12 spies were sent 40 years before versus Joshua sending two spies right now. So Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Jericho was the first city they would confront. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Somehow it had become known that these two spies sent by Joshua were now in the land of Canaan. And they had figured out they're here to spy out the land. Well, you might wonder how how in the world would they have known about two men coming into the land from across the Jordan River? Well, when you think about the, the history and the culture of that part of the world in that day and age, it's a long time ago, Jericho was probably basically a city-state. And so notice that it, it, it's pointed out in verse 2 here that it was told the king of Jericho, the king of Jericho. And so undoubtedly he had an army under his rule and 
so they probably would have had on occasion at least patrols going out or people sta- you know soldiers stationed at certain places and and uh, Jer- the, the Jordan River would not have been very far from the city of Jericho and so it was it would have been fairly easy to see two men from that large group of people and they would have known about is the Israelites being you know being uh, camped and camped across the Jordan River and probably that raised some concern. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have kind of guards set in place or sentries, so to speak, and kind of watching. Is anything going to happen? Are they going to come across the river? And so here these two men come and they know about it. So they tell the king, uh, some people from, from Israel, from among the Israelites have come, two men to spy out the land. So the king gets the word. So So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab because, again, they knew where these men had gone. They were were boarding uh, in in the home, or if you want to think of it as a lodge or whatever, that, that Rahab ran. So they tell the king. So the king sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman sent the two men, uh, or, or, or took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. Now, of course, she was lying about not knowing where the men were. She was lying about the men having already left her lodging. She knew exactly where they were. They were still there. Verse 6 says, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid on, on in order on the roof. So the men pursued them by the road to Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. They shut the gate. So Rahab obviously gave the the soldiers from the king wrong information. She lied to them. She said, yeah, I, those men came, but I didn't know where they were from. They've already left. They're gone. I don't know where they went. But go after them. You might catch up to them. And so the men from the king sent to take into custody, obviously, the two men from the Israelites who they had understood to be spies. They assumed they were spies from the Israelite camp. They, they, went, they followed Rahab's advice. They started out after them. Of course, they weren't going to find them because the two men, the two spies from the Israelite camp were still there with Rahab. They were up in the roof. So <clears throat> in verse 8, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted 
neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. He is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. So Rahab is confessing at least a degree of faith in God here. Now you might wonder, well, that was 40 years ago that the Lord dried up the Red Seas to let the Israelite people pass on dry, on dry ground and then closed up the sea over the pursuing Egyptian army, destroying them. And those battles against the kings of the Amorites, that was a little bad. Well, that would have been closer to home for the people of Jericho, but, but um, and, and they would have heard about that, and certainly it had not been that long ago that those battles took place. But way, going by, way back 40 years, you might wonder, how in the world did they hear about that? Well, people would travel from Egypt. There would be commerce, trade being pursued, and that would be one way and probably a very logical way to understand that the, the story would be carried. And they may have heard of this way back, or maybe it was more recently they had heard of this, after the battles with the kings of the Amorites. However it was, Rahab says, we, we've heard about you all. We've heard about your God. Now remember, Rahab almost certainly is a, an idol worshiper herself, as were the people of Jericho and the people of the land of Canaan. And remember, God had said to the Israelites, and Moses had communicated this to the people repeatedly, you either destroy these people in battle or else drive them out of the land. I don't want you to have anything to do with them because they do not believe in me. They're idol worshipers, and they're going to turn you away from me if you start building relationships with them. But now Rahab, she's, she's developed a degree of faith in God. And so she tells those two men who are from the Israelite camp across the river, we've heard about your God. And she even makes the bold declaration, statement of faith, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, had she renounced fully her belief in the idols that she undoubtedly had been worshiping, well, we don't know. We don't know. But she has come to believe in God, at least to some extent. This Rahab, we don't know anything about her before this time. We don't have a whole lot of references about her through the rest of Scripture. But we can look, we can look at a couple of verses in the, in the, uh, New Testament, we can look at Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31. And here we read, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now, that's pretty short and sweet, isn't it? Don't hear a whole lot. Don't don't read a whole lot about that. Now you go back to verse thirty, the the verse before it says, "By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for for seven days." It doesn't mention anything about Rahab there. The next verse talks about Rahab that she had a part 
in Israel being successful in that she hid the spies. So by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what do we keep emphasizing about the development of faith, how it happens within an individual? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17 well, how much about God did, faith, did, 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 did uh, Rahab learn before these two Israelite spies appeared at her place? We're not told. But she had heard word about God for sure because she began to recite to them about how God had given them the victory over the kings of the Amorites and how God had dried up the Red Sea, that pathway through which he led the Israelite peoples across that sea. And then undoubtedly she had heard that then God closed up the waters over the pursuing Egyptian army and destroyed them in their pursuit in that same Red Sea. So she had heard about God. She had heard enough that she believed in God. We look also... In James, James chapter 2 and verse 25, and it's interesting, this particular context, because James is talking here in this second half of chapter 2 about what faith really is, true faith, saving faith, faithfulness, what it really is. He emphasizes over and over and over again that real faith is working faith. It's not just passive it's not just agreeing intellectually to believe something, but it is put into action through obedience and dedication and commitment, active dedication and commitment on an ongoing basis. So in verse 25 of James chapter 2, James writes, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So there's... Another reference to Rahab in New Testament scripture. But again, the, as much insight as we might like to have or, or get about Rahab from coming back to Joshua chapter 2, well, we're just not told all that much. But we're told enough. We're told enough. And so in verse 11, again, Rahab tells those two spies, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. We move on to verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Now, Rahab's indicating, I know, I, I believe in God, and, and I know that God is going to deliver this city into your hands. So I've helped you. I've, I've hidden you. Now, make a pledge to me. Make a pledge to me. Swear to me by God, by the Lord. Since I've shown you this kindness, that you will spare my father's household, including myself, my brothers, my sisters, and so on. Give me a token. Help me, you know, give me a sign here. So the men answered her, verse 14, 
our lives for yours. If none of you, if none of you tell this business of ours, said now what the what the two spies are saying, yes, you've spared our lives, we'll spare your lives. If none within your household informs on us, if none none within your household tells who we are and where we are. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through, through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And that's interesting that in that part of the world and in, in that time, in that culture, that um, apartments, I guess we could say, were built into the walls oftentimes of the of the walls that surrounded or fortified a city. And so she let them down through a window in her dwelling place there that faced out apparently on the, uh, through the outside of the wall. Let them down. So let them down probably on a rope and uh, let them escape. So in verse 16, she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So she even gives them guidance where to go to avoid those soldiers, I think we can understand, that the king sent to capture them. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. So it would be visible from the outside of the city because, again, the window was on the outside of the wall. And so the two spies, they say, you bind the scarlet cord. It must have been large enough that it would be easily visible. You bind that in that window. And unless, oh, let me turn the page correctly here. And unless, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So you put them there. You bring your whole family, your whole father's household into your, your home here. Probably something we would, we would compare to an apartment, so to speak. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And so they're basically, they're basically dedicated, making a pledge to Rahab. You bring your whole household, your whole father's household, all your family into your home here. You put the scarlet thread on the window through which you let us down outside the city wall, and we'll be able to see it. Now, if any from your household, when we come against the city, if they go out into the street, their death will be on their own head. But if anyone is harmed still in your home, then we bear that responsibility and that guilt. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away. And they departed 
and she brought the scarlet cord in the window. I'm sorry, she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Now again, it must have been large enough that it would be very visible. And of course, scarlet, bright red, that would make it more visible to the uh, Joshua, certainly, leading the army, and to the soldiers, the, the word would be passed among them, I'm sure, do not harm anybody in this particular home in the wall. Verse 22, they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So they were searching diligently for these two spies from the Israelites, but because she had hidden them, told them where to go, where to hide, how long to stay. She had sent the pursuers on a wild goose chase, so to speak. They never did come across them. Verses 23 and 24, the last two verses in chapter 2. So the two men returned, descended from the mountains, and crossed over, that is, crossed over the Jordan River, back to the Israelite camp. And they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Now, we're not told all the details of everywhere those two spies went, how they might have interacted, and almost certainly did interact with the people of that land, but they had come back with enough information to tell Joshua, God's given the land into our hands. Those people who live there, remember how those 10 spies had said 40 years ago that they were too strong for us and we could not take their cities and so on? Now those people, they've heard about us and they're faint-hearted because of us. The victory is ours, basically, is what they're saying. Again, a basic lesson that the Israelites were to learn through this study from Joshua, through this time of Joshua leading the armies of Israel in conquest of the land, the promised land, which would, which would become the, the land of Israel. They learned that victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word, rather than through military might and numerical superiority alone. They would face mighty armies, but God would defeat those armies before them. They'd have to fight the battles, but God would give them the victory. Victory after victory. We'll move on to chapter 3 next time. Let's pray. Father, you are almighty. Almighty. None, no one, no thing is like you. You are all-powerful. Help us to learn that if we walk with you in faithful obedience consistently, that your power will be before us to overcome the difficulties in our lives and to deliver us ultimately to eternal life with you in heaven. Help our faith, Father, please we pray. Help us have faith in you and in your Son and in the Holy Spirit. Please forgive us, gracious Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.